0: Welcome to April, my friends. Whoa, did March feel hard for so many of us or what? I have no idea what April's gonna feel like, but I want you to know that if it feels hard, that's okay. What's not okay is to think that your feelings are what is the absolute truth. Friends, God's word is our absolute truth, and it tells us that perfect love casts out fear. It tells us that He is our hiding place and our shelter. It tells us that His word is a lamp into our feet. It tells us that we can come to Him, we can bring Him our burdens, and that He will give us rest. You might be feeling afraid. You might be feeling anxious. You might be feeling scared. But my friends, His word is our truth. So my encouragement is that you run to it today. I have a new verse screensaver for you this week. I gave you one a few weeks ago that was from Romans twelve twelve, which I just love that verse so much. And I know that you guys had benefited from it as well. That verse says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I've had that on my screensaver for the past two weeks and it's been such a joy for me. Well, I have a new one for you. Are you ready? You can go to my Instagram stories and download it. And it is this, Psalm 119, It says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Guys, I want us to meditate on that this week, that God is our hiding place. He is our shield. When the world feels absolutely crazy, which it does, he has not changed. Guys, today's show is so very, very good. Also, I need to tell you, we recorded it before We were in the current state of our uh, world that we're in right now. Just a little preface. If you're wondering why we didn't mention it, it's because we recorded this a while ago. You're gonna love this conversation. I loved every single minute of my conversation with Rebecca Bender. I could have chatted with her for 17 more hours. She has an incredible story of escape from human trafficking that she told in her book, In Pursuit of Love. If you're looking for a book that you cannot put down, get this one wherever you can get books right now which I don't think you can get them on Amazon, but Barnes & Noble delivers as well. Check out her book, In Pursuit of Love. I think you're really, really gonna love it. In our chat today, we talk about human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, and the realities that it brings to our world and to so many women's lives in our own communities, friends. I would like to also note in this season of quarantine and isolation that some of our worlds and our jobs and our lives are on hold. But like my friend Holly Hayes and my friend Christine Kane have reminded me, Trafficking doesn't stop because of the coronavirus. I want us just to remember that and pray for women all around the world who are entrapped in trafficking and cannot leave, that this is a very desolate time for them as well. Um, Something exciting, we told you about this last week, and I cannot wait for all of you to sign up and join us, is that we have a new Bible study that we just launched last week and it is so exciting. It is called Your Story Matters. Now, when we launched this or when we planned to launch this, we had no idea what our world would look like right now. But I think it's crazy because God knew he's not surprised by this. And and we made this Bible study and the whole point is to connect you to your people. And right now it's hard to connect, but praise God for the internet. Am I right? And so we're all craving this connection to the outside world. And I have an idea. I have a plan for us. This Bible study is a great way for you to connect with your girlfriends, to be in the Word together, even when you cannot gather together. The Bible study is called Your Story Matters. It's a downloadable Bible study. You can get it at jamieivy.com. You can click on the order there, pre-order between now and April 13th when we begin. It's only $19. What that gives you is it gives you six video teaching sessions where I'm teaching and then I interview a woman who talks about what I was teaching and then a PDF downloadable questions for you to work through. And then my encouragement would be for you to, Plan to do this with some girlfriends. Make a plan for it. Set up a a Zoom or a FaceTime every Friday to go through what you were learning and share with each other. I believe that stories have the power to change the world. I believe that your story has the power to change the world. I believe that we need each other All the time, and especially right now, we need to learn from each other. We need to be inspired from each other. I would just encourage you to join us. I really think you're gonna enjoy this study. Go to jamieivy.com, click on the button there that says pre-order, your story matters. It's gonna take you to a page where you can pre-order it. When you pre-order it for $19, you're also gonna receive a bonus video that my husband Aaron and I recorded about how to share your story with your spouse. I really, really cannot wait to dive into the study with you. We also are going to invite you to a private Facebook group when you join. And I'll be hanging out there before the study. I'll be hanging out there every week during the study. So that'll be a fun time for us to connect as well call your girlfriends, call your cousins, call your sisters, your neighbors. Set up a time where you guys can meet every single week together. Whether it's Zoom or FaceTime, Google Hangout, whatever it is, we can still do Bible studies together even in the midst of this time. Go to jamieivy.com and click on pre-order Your Story Matters. And then send me a message on Instagram that you're gonna join us. I cannot wait to do this study with you. All right, friends, here is my conversation with my new friend, Rebecca Bender, who I love and adore and want to spend 87 more hours with. Here it is. Rebecca, welcome to the happy hour. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled that you're sitting in my office. Can I tell you why? Yes. Okay. I think I've kind of gushed too much before we started recording, but I get 8 million books a day to my (laughs) office. And I got your book months ago because i have an advanced reader copy and mm-hmm. i know by the time we're recording it's already come out and i devoured this book this wow. week i read every single page i dog-eared things <laughs> i love this book oh um and i'll tell She's you why i gonna cry yeah well you can <laughs> but i'm gonna i'm gonna gush over you for a few minutes before we jump in a couple okay. of reasons why i love this book are you ready yeah <laughs> number one i love a story of transformation i think that we all have stories I always say stories change the world. Yes. And when I see Jesus change people's lives, it excites me more than anything in the world. Yes. That's your story. Number two, I told you a little bit before we started recording about how I was introduced into the world of sex trafficking probably eight years ago. And it Mm -hmm. changed my outlook on everything Mm -hmm. that has to do with prostitution, uh, trafficking in America, um, sex industry, at my eyes were open. Buyers, demand. Buyers, mm-hmm. demand, pants, everything. Yeah. How our culture celebrates this, um, some of this. So I ate this up as well because I have learned a lot more about this in the past eight years than previously, my whole 30 years of life. And mm-hmm. so um, but your book also it educates, but it also brings a reader into a story, a real devastating story with a really awesome ending. Thank and you. And so Congrats on your book! Thank you. Congrats on Jesus! <laughs> yes, <laughs> the changer of all of our lives. And so I'm so glad to sit down with you. Oh, I mean, I love it. I really. I have doing a lot of interviews this week, and I've been giddy about talking to you. So I've been <laughs> like, I'm you. I'm gushing over you. So I'm setting <laughs> you up. You got to come through on this interview because I just set you up. No pressure. Um, but anyhow, welcome to Austin. You live in Oregon. I do with your husband and four kids, mm-hmm.
1: four daughters, four daughters. Well, one's off at college, so I only have three in the house. But. We can talk about that too. I'm two years away from it. It felt like a break when I only had three. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is great. Oh, three. That's easy. <laughs> Grocery shopping is easy. <laughs> I
0: can do this. Um, okay. So I want to set the stage. So what we're going to talk about today, you um, released a book in February called In Pursuit of Love, One Woman's Journey from Traffic to Triumph. Um, and this is your true story. It's basically a memoir of you being trafficked for six years yep. while living in Vegas. Um, and so Everyone can read the book. Like we're not going to I don't want to ask you to tell me your whole story cuz they got to read the book. It's so good. But can we talk about like what led up to this? Yes. Um because there's a lot of people who are listening and they're going to tune out and think this has nothing to do with
1: my life. Right. And I think you would say the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it when you said stories matter and stories change the world. I think while many people can't identify with being trafficked, everyone can relate with feeling trapped. Everyone can relate with identifying vulnerabilities that happened in their childhood that maybe made them make decisions as a teenager or a young adult that maybe weren't the best choices or, you know, got involved in something they shouldn't have been involved in. Even if it was didn't get that far, I, th- I think everyone can relate with feeling trapped in maybe a toxic friendship that they don't know how to get out of, or they feel like they're growing, but maybe their best friend isn't. And how do you do that? How do you step away and really go after what God has for you while leaving someone you really love? Do you feel like leaving them behind or a dead end job or feeling like I have this passion in in my heart, but I don't know how to get there? Everyone can relate with that. And at the core you know, we all have this heart that God has made us with. And I think that's what's relatable. And that's why stories matter. Stories do matter. You mentioned something at the end of your book that I have just recently become familiar with, the ACEs. Is yes. ACEs? Did I say that right? Correct. ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiential Study.
0: Oh, I listened to a podcast recently. Uh, Dax Shepherd hosts a podcast called Armchair Experts, and he had the first some kind of doctor something in the state of California. I messed it all up. Anyhow, she wrote a book about this. And okay. I'm I'm very intrigued by this because having um Three children in our family through adoption. Just trauma. There's trauma there, mm-hmm. and so you mentioned that, and so even what you're talking about of everyone has something that we have to overcome. Yeah, and when we look back at our childhood, maybe other people had something that's not going to lead them into down this road, but we all have things. Yeah, we all have things. Okay, so when I ask you to go back, I want to talk about how this even happened in your life, and I don't want you to tell me the story, but I. I've heard a handful of stories from women who people would be very surprised about them entering into the world of sex trafficking Mm -hmm. because we think we have this idea that that happens to women elsewhere.
1: Right. Yeah. You look like a very typical American girl.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. How did did this even...
1: Yeah, we all do this. We all think of, you hear the word human trafficking and you picture white minivans, kidnapping kids, your teacher kid stranger danger to look out for someone that offers you a puppy and candy at a park, you know. And we think of people being smuggled across foreign borders, duct taped and handcuffed and all of those things. What's really important, I think, for people to realize is two things. One is victims of human trafficking domestically. Like We grow up in the same culture as you. And so we also picture trafficking that way. And so when our situation doesn't look like that, when I have a boy that's telling me all the things I want to hear or you, you know, I work a lot with traffic victims and so stories are all so, so different and yet similar where it's someone who has a lot of vulnerabilities and someone's promising them a whole bunch of things that they that their heart is created to have yeah. love, belonging, acceptance, non-judgment, They're all longing the things for those things. right? Yeah. And so when that is how traffickers began getting their hook and their victim, we're all, as victims, we're thinking, well, I'm not being trafficked Mm -hmm. because I'm not being kidnapped, right? I'm getting in the car. I love him. I'm getting on the flight. We're moving in together. He loves me. And so- it's important for people to realize that we grew up in the same culture as you too, And if we continue to paint human trafficking inaccurately, it's fueling a misperception that's going to cause victims to never reach out for help. And it's going to cause us to not see trafficking when it's right in front of our faces. That's so important. I've never thought about
0: that. I told you before we started that when I worked in the county jail, you said in your book that you didn't identify as being trafficked until you were out of the game. Mm-hmm. You didn't even identify, like, I'm not trafficked. I'm just maybe have a boyfriend who beats crap out of me. Right. I'm not trafficked because like you said, trafficking is- It's kidnapped children. Kidnapped children, right. Smuggled overseas. Exactly. The women in the jail, a lot of times we would talk about trafficking and they, you would see a light bulb go off because they had never, ever thought that what was happening to them was trafficking. And a lot of them had never even heard the word trafficking. Yeah. So as a woman who has been trafficked, as a mom, how do we as parents,
1: like, how do we talk to our children about this? Yeah. And I guess we should. I think it's important to remember, you know, that the second thing that would be important to remember is that in our country, sex for sale is a multi-billion dollar industry. And whether it's porn or cam girls or online escorts or street prostitution or brothels, illicit massage, cantinas, there's, there's literally 25 different ways that it could look in our own communities. 25, 25 According to research, according to the Polaris Project, which is a national human trafficking hotline. Yep. So, if we're only looking for this one way, we're gonna literally miss two dozen other forms of trafficking in your, in your I've community. I've never heard that before, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. like
0: flabbergasted over here.
1: Yeah, 25, according to the... It's exactly. called yeah. it's called the typology report. Yeah. So it's actually it's years of research, um, hundreds of thousands of hot calls from the hotline, twenty five different types of human trafficking. And what's important is you know sex for sales is multi billion dollar industry, and kidnapped, duct taped people thrown on a dirty mattress. Unfortunately, that's not real sellable. Mm-hmm. Right, that's not sexy. It doesn't. Mm-hmm doesn't, you know, turn people on for lack of better words, because to traffickers, this is a business and this is a product that has to remain sellable. And so I think it's important for us to keep that in mind when we're like, well, I didn't see her kidnapped. Well, I didn't see this. Well, yeah, would that have sold? Is Mm. that sellable? Yeah. So the traffickers constantly trying to keep their product, quote unquote, in mental change so that even if they have the physical ability to leave, they're so brainwashed, they're so traumatized, they're so full of fear that the product stays sellable and the girl stays within his mm-hmm. his grasp.
0: I mean, you're a walking example of this. I mean, in your book, I think you mentioned like twice when you left and came back. Yeah. And to a lot of people that would seem like, Rebecca, you could have left. What's yeah. the deal? Yeah,
1: I have a lot of people say that. Uh, I'm sure.
0: I mean, it's the same thing. I don't know if you remember when uh, this has happened a handful of times. It's not like one particular instance, but we'll see on the news about a woman who was kidnapped and not trafficked, but kidnapped and held hostage, and the kidnapper will leave, and they'll say, why didn't you leave? Right. And we look at that and go, what's wrong with you? Whereas there's this real thing, Stockholm Syndrome, right. which is legit. Yep. And so that's that's that bondage that yep.
1: you are stuck in. That is, people can't understand it. Right. And I think it's what's great about people thinking that way, though, is— of course you're thinking that way. You're thinking from a healthy adult brain right. that's not in the middle of trauma that hasn't been, you know, starved and beaten and your kids aren't being held hostage against your like you haven't ran and he, fought. in my case, I did have multiple attempted escapes. I got all the way to Oregon and he came and followed me there. I got all the way to the airport on another attempt and post 9-11, you can't buy plane tickets with cash. Most mm. people don't know that because I got all the way to the counter and they wouldn't sell and me And there's no ticket. way you would have a credit card. It's when, not like yeah. he leaves you a debit card, yeah, exactly. you know? And so- of course, people are thinking, why don't they just run? Because you have a healthy adult brain. Right. That is how healthy adult brains would think. But the person in the midst of trauma, that's not how their brain's working. They're having trauma bonding, capture bonding, PTSD, Stockholm syndrome, polyvictimization, complex trauma all these actual mental diagnosis that we're not just make these you know, up for fun. These are real actual disorders that have been you know, diagnosable, DSM-5 disorders. And so you're afraid. It wasn't just I had these vulnerabilities and my boyfriend lured me away, promising me this future as a single teen mom, trying to put myself through college. Because once I got there, then he used force. Then I'm, you know, now I'm being monitored. My drug use is being monitored. By the time I get traded and sold to multiple different traffic families, I'm at this one final quote unquote stable where there's extreme abuse. Like I'm being given an hour to sleep in the closet. My daughter's life is threatened if I don't work, quote unquote work, Mm -hmm. um, while I have the flu. I mean, I can literally remember having a fever, sweating, chills, literal flu, and calling back to him and saying, can I please come home? I'm I'm so sick. I'm throwing up in hotel rooms. Like this, people don't want me here. You know, people don't want to buy me. Mm -hmm. And I remember him saying, swinging hangers and hanging the phone up. And I knew because of previous threats, that meant that if I didn't obey, that he would take my daughter and my things and I would come home to nothing but an empty house and hang her swinging in the closet. So all he had to do was continually threaten that and sometimes actually follow through with those threats. I mean, the case that I talk about in the book with the girl named Felicity, her trafficker did six months in prison for abusing her children, physically. Physically abusing her children. These aren't always just threats. Mm-hmm. These are actual things that are happening to us behind closed doors. And so people are like, "Why don't you just run?" Especially guys. And I train cops now. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you just grab a grenade, bomb exactly. the Pallage, yeah, yeah. Or jump out the window, and run for uh-huh. freedom? are <laughs> yeah. like, "Yeah, okay." But there's real, actual trauma and abuse and stuff that's happening with your brain when you're living in a constant state of prolonged fear. And I was beaten to the point, I've had my face broken in five places. I had to have reconstructive surgery. My palate cracked, my nose twice, my maxofasials and turbinates impounded. Um, The ENT doctor thought that I'd been in a car accident. These are really extreme, extreme abuse that is hard to come back from and really hard to think clearly when you're living in the midst of this tornado of fear. It's like, I just needed a minute to, to take a breath so I could think of my next step, but you didn't have that a minute. minute. Never came, and mm-hmm. so you'd grab your baby in the night and run and get to the airport, and they won't sell you a ticket, or grab your baby and run home, and here he comes behind you, and and so you feel at some point where you almost feel like you give up, like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hold on to all the things that he keeps telling me because it's easier to get through it. It's easier. You know, I tell the story in a book, In the book, where um, it's Halloween and there's girls in Vegas and they're all dressed up in like you know the Bunny sexiest outfits, outfit, right? And whatever, yeah. Tina Fey makes a joke mm-hmm. at Halloween now that's like sexy corn, you yeah, know? like uh-huh, anything. Yeah. And I can remember him driving really slow and pointing at some girls that were dressed up in like garter belts and feather boas, and him saying, "Do you see those girls? They wish they could be you. Hmm. You're brave. You're courageous. You're strong. They wish they could be you." And so, when you're abused and you're living in fear and you're living in trauma, and that's what you're hearing constantly, it feels good to go, I am brave. Mm. I am strong. I can do this. And then, your other option is what? Poverty, homelessness, food stamps, Section 8 housing, navigating, going back to a small town where everyone's going to know because you have a criminal record of prostitution. So, Getting a job is really scary because they're going to do a background check. So you're kind of weighing these two options. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm I'm just going to get through today and hope I can make a plan for tomorrow. And then time goes by quickly. And it's, it's just hard. Like, it's really hard for, I think, healthy adult brains to grasp. Yeah. But when you're living in that kind of trauma, it's really hard to get out. You spent six years in that trauma
0: before you were able to get out. You said the word stable earlier. Can you explain that real quick?
1: Yeah, so stable is a, a term, a lingo that's used to describe one trafficker and the multiple women that he has in his control. Mm-hmm. And you refer to them in your book as your...
0: Um what do you what do you call? What do you call your- well,
1: they're called wife-in-laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you call them your sisters. So we call them their, our sisters. Yeah. And you know, my trafficker and a lot of traffickers are like this. They're very calculating. You know, traffickers have written books on how to traffic. Are you kidding me? No. There's articles out. Um, one trafficker wrote an article called "How to Use Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs to Traffic Young Women." There's actual websites where traffickers can create forums and accounts and share information with one another, how to keep them in control, how to control a mouthy girl, all these different. This is a calculating, manipulative, very strategic like method that they're using. Because it's a business. Because it's a business and they need to keep their product sellable. And they just see, they wouldn't call them victim, I'm sure, right? No.
0: They just see their girls as product.
1: Correct. Yeah, the way I describe it to girls when we're working with girls is the same way you feel about a buyer, a trick, that's how he feels about you, which is nothing, just you don't care at all about mm-hmm. them. But, you know, what's in, what people I think is hard to grasp with the sisters thing is our trafficker specifically required us to use that term instead of wife-in-laws because it created technically like a mini cult it created this sense of family, Mm -hmm. this sense of I finally have friends. I hadn't had friends in a really long time. My only human interaction was people who bought or sold me. And so to finally have another girl that was my friend and we got along and she was funny and we'd get to hang out. Then when you have the ability to run, there's part of you that's like, but what about my sister? Mm -hmm. Do I just leave her behind? Mm -hmm. Well, what about the other little kid in the home? Do I just leave him behind? And so- whether he's methodically doing this or not, there's becomes this real bond with everybody in the home. Mm. These are my sisters. My daughter would call them aunties. Auntie would come to our Christmas recitals at school and you know, football games and sporting events. And so it literally meets now all, um, ev- all 15 indicators of cult behavior, according to Northern Colorado University, mm-hmm. did a big research. So it fits every indicator of cult behavior. So when you're like, "Well, why did they just drink why did they all drink the Kool-Aid at Waco?" Mm-hmm. Well, how did Marilyn Manson get everyone, right? Like brainwashing is a real thing. Very much so. Yeah. And we think we're all too smart to be brainwashed and we teach our kids stranger danger, and we have no clue this influence of culture, mm-hmm. of music, of social media, of the people in their circles. It's not just all, of course parenting is important and it's modeled and those are it's really crucial, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of other influences yeah. in young people's lives and brainwashing um, is something that's harder to see and harder to realize when it's happening to you. Mm. I I want to ask you about cultural influence. One of the things that's always kind of
0: hard for me to grasp my, my, my mind around, I mean, a lot of this is hard for me to just even, I mean, the fact you've blown my mind twice today with <laughs> the whole 25 ways of human trafficking and then the articles written by traffickers. So one of the things that I think always, find interesting is the fact that we live in a culture where the only way that this continues is if there are buyers. Right. All this stops if nobody's buying sex. Right. So let's talk about that for a second, because I think that is something, you know, my majority of listeners are are Christians Mm -hmm. and I don't think this excludes us. Oh no. Yeah. So let's just step on a (laughs) few toes if you want to with me. Uh, because I think that people can go into watching and viewing and purchasing pornography, purchasing, would you say prostitute? I don't want to say a wrong word. Purchasing a prostitute, would you say that? I'd say women in prostitution. Women in prostitution. Not who they are. Exactly. Thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, Purchasing a woman in prostitution, it all contributes to this whole big
1: cycle. Yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on this?
1: I mean, I think what's so important is a lot of people, when you think of human trafficking, you think You know, it's a girl's issue. And when we're at events, it's oftentimes mostly women, right? It's women doing outreaches, and that's fine. But what we're not realizing is that we are raising up a culture of young men in a very hypersexual world. How are we raising our sons Mm. to not be contributors and um to a commercial sex industry whether it is strip club pornography webcams or to the extreme you know we hear all the time no one want, no one wakes up and wants to be a prostitute i'd also argue, i'd also come back and say and neither do young boys wake up and say someday i'm going to buy a child for sex mm. it's a monster that grows and grows and grows and i think as parents whether you have a son or daughter it's really important to consider how this hypersexual culture that we live in, because it's not going to go away. How do we teach our kids self-control? How do we teach our kids to um, empower others instead of exploit others? How do we teach our young men to defend and protect and not objectify? Uh, I think those are my opinions. Research would show that the average buyer in America is a 35 to 55-year-old Caucasian male with expendable income. Who is that that you know in your life? That's the average buyer. not us to say there's not exceptions as any research, sure. but if this is what research is showing us, who is that in your community how where how did they get that far mm. in their addiction to porn and their addiction to sex in their desire to act out porn with skin on in a way that is too embarrassing to talk to their wife about? Mm-hmm. how are we saying let's get some therapy if it gets that far and you're in your addiction, instead of buying someone enslaved, mm-hmm. but where did we? How do we stop this? How do we start looking at the next generation of young men and raising up um, people that can defend and protect? Yeah, yeah, I mean, would you say that someone's first
0: step into pornography is not buying a woman? Would you say? No, I mean, I think it. I
1: think like any addiction, it, it grows, more and, more grows and, and grows and grows. It has to get stronger. It has Indeed. to get harsher. Yeah. Intensity has to, you know, uh-huh. get increase. There's a great organization called Fight the New Drug that talks a lot about science in the brain, especially with adolescents. You know, I, I say this a lot. What used to be considered softcore porn is now our mainstream media. And what that's doing when we're raising up four and five-year-old little boys and girls that have potentially softcore porn constantly in their face without their consent, it is having an effect on us and our culture. And nowadays, and I'm sure most Christian moms aren't doing this, so you might not know, but if you were to just Google pornography right now and Google... The first video that comes up is hardcore smut pornography. And if this is the first interaction of arousal that your 12, 13, 11-year-old son is having, there is going to be an actual synod, like a connection in your in their brain that is going to form arousal with this violence. And that's a cons- that should be a concern for all of us. Yeah. yeah. I'm concerned and I have, do- I have all daughters. I have four daughters. And I'm like, this but is- women are not immune to this either, which and is another And there's an in- point, another- increase in mm-hmm. young girls watching pornography uh-huh, in our culture right now. It's almost like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Everything we is doing? very sexualized. Yes. How do we teach self control? How do we teach our sons to look away? How do we teach our kids to go? No, I'm not interested in that. Because even if you have all the filters you want on your phone and their gadgets and their tablets and everything at your own house, that doesn't mean their friend at school does. Oh, I've said this a thousand times. One of my kids has been shown porn at school twice by their classmates. Yeah, I mean, not surprised. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I mean, you know, we talk about porn maybe a lot on this show only because. I don't want parents to think this, my kids aren't being exposed to this. I mean, I have friends, My I have a 16-year-old, two 14-year-olds and a 12-year-old. And I'm always encouraging parents, if you haven't talked to your kids about pornography, by the time they're like seven, man, we, we're going to need to get in on this. Because, I mean, I just cannot tell you how many stories I've heard of young children being exposed to porn, not in their home but someone else's cell phone, right. someone else's home. Yep. And so I want to be the parent that lets them know what that word is, what it means. But then, I mean, let's go here too, because this is all super, super scary. And I I, I tend to be a very like fearful parent. Of, okay, <laughs> if my son or my daughter has seen this, they're doomed to be a trafficker, which is not true either, <laughs> right? Right. We have Jesus, we have grace, all the things. Um. But I was going to ask you this. The statistic that you told me about the average buyer— mm-hmm. um. In your six years of being trafficked, did you find that to be true? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely Nothing new true. to you. No, no new No new news.
1: No, no one who is, when the research comes out, all of us that are survivors, all of us survivor leaders are like, yeah, we've been telling you that, but at least now it's not just our opinion or it's my experience, but now it's actually like proven through research through years and thousands of of researched and investigative reports and interviews and um, demand abolition is the organization that put out a demand report and it's it's fascinating it's there's a ton of stuff in it um, including this one statistic I just gave you but there was another statistic that said 20% of men who had never bought sex said they would consider it if it were legal to have a 20% increase on sex for sale if it were legalized in our country. Tons of stats in this report that were kind of fascinating when, when people were interviewed. But I think what's important is the same vulnerabilities that get our young girls um, in situations where they're being exploited and used and vulnerable. Those are the same vulnerabilities that are, are creating our young men into traffickers, drug dealing, gangs, it's at the root of it, it's just a, it's a need to love and be loved. Mm. We all want to belong. We all want to have someone that loves us, regardless of what we've been through, regardless of our past. At the core, it's this heart issue that God has created us for belonging. And the enemy will always try to come and give us give us a counterfeit version of family, give you a counterfeit version of relationship, of love, of intimacy. He's very quick to throw out these counterfeit microwave versions of everything that God has actually created you for. Mm. And that's what we really I think need to teach our kids. That's what I'm trying to teach my yeah. daughters at least of like yeah. don't fall for the counterfeit. Yeah, cuz it's fake and it can't sustain. No, it won't. It's like what's better, a TV dinner or a pot roast? Is right, like you, you know, I think a pot roast
0: today. <laughs> (laughs) Can we say this just because you and I both know this, but I want to make sure the listener knows this, that when we speak of um, girls being trafficked and men being traffickers, that there, there are ch- instances of women traffickers and boys being trafficked. Absolutely, percentage
1: wise, it's much exactly. less. Exactly, I do. I know that a hundred percent. And I want to be sure to also ensure that we're talking about three. It's three parties, though. It's not just buyer and sell. You know, victim and and trafficker. It's also a buyer. It's the buyer. There's, so there's three components yeah. here. It's any marketing equation, right? If if down at the local county country market, there's an increase in Red Bull being bought. Then when they go to place inventory, they would add more Red Bull to the order. It's a simple marketing equation. There's supply, demand, and product. And that's what traffickers are, are getting in on. It's with anything, right? The prescription drug industry, you have people that are selling opioids on the street. Anywhere there's an ability to make money, corruption's going to follow. Yeah. How do we be thoughtful around the world we live in, how we're raising our kids, we're we're living in a very hypersexual sex for sale culture. How do we do this? As so how do we do this?
0: As like how do I how do I do this as a 42-year-old woman raising four kids in, you know, the outskirts of Austin, living my life, loving Jesus, trying to do the best? Yeah. I guess my question more is I know that this matters because I have been made aware of it eight years ago. I love, like, you know. A twenty one, like we're involved in these organizations that are helping. It, it matters to me
1: because I've mm-hmm. been exposed. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't even this is the first time they ever heard of this. Right. Why does it matter to them? I think everyone falls on some kind of spectrum, right? This you're no one is immune to the sex for sale in our culture anymore. Nobody. It's gonna affect everyone. It might affect your kids, it might affect your desire to become a foster parent. Huge statistics of kids in foster care, um, higher risk for exploitation than any yeah. other group. In my state, the state of Oregon, ninety-five percent of trafficked kids had been in foster care since age two. And national averages between seventy-five to eighty. It changes every year, but still. It's a vulnerable it's a vulnerable child po- population yeah. any marginalized c- group in your community is at risk traffickers are looking for the most marginalized at risk people in your community They're so freaking smart That's about that. That's who they're and going it makes me after. So mad. Right. And so whether it's you're wanting to talk to your kids about using self-control and being thoughtful and loving to those that are the most marginalized in your community, all the way to, I want to volunteer, and I want to go on a bus tour, and I want to do outreach at jails, to, you know, I'm going to get a job in a non I'm going to see if someone's hiring that works at anti-trafficking. There's this giant spectrum, but we all can do a little bit of something in this hypersexual culture. When we came out with the book, um, I actually put together a, a video series called Find Your Lane, nine different ways that you could fight human trafficking. We made this little fun interactive quiz of like, you know, I ask going to the strip the strip club outreach at midnight mm-hmm. fills my heart with joy and <laughs> yeah yes or no yes no. or no yeah. right and it's like uh I cannot see a woman in a thong <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and so we just try to make it more fun because you know humor makes hard topics palatable and I wanted people to know this doesn't have to be this giant scary issue that everyone could do something whether it's just voting and you're making sure that policies in your state are are protecting our at risk kids all the way to you know like you said getting really involved but we all can do something and we hope that people engage not only just by reading the book and learning about the issue, um, they take the quiz, they figure out how they can do something. And you start having just these conversations alone. Listening to this podcast is going to shift the way you think about marginalized people in your community. And you think about the boys and girls in your home that you love or the boys and girls in your life that you love and how to protect them and talk about just how far sex for sale has yeah. gone. And it matters too, just to also throw
0: this out. I mean, it's the same way that people are asking, how do immigration and refugees and asylum seekers matter to my family? Well, they matter as a Christ follower because they're made in the image of God. And so that's the same way we can look at this issue as well. It's like this matters to me because these women who are being trafficked, they're made in the image of God. Yeah. And they deserve different than this. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. I have a question for you that I feel dumb asking. Okay. You ready? I am. Educate me. On? This is what I'm about to ask (laughs) I feel like I'm studying myself. I've been, I've had this question in my head for so long and I got it from reading your book as well. And then just from listening to you. So correct me if I'm wrong. Prostitution is illegal in all 50 States. Correct. Okay. Then can you dumb it down for me a little bit? Yeah. How does this money-making industry of trafficking women, sex for sale, mm-hmm. how does it get past that prostitution is illegal?
1: Right. Is so, it, a d- tell me Rebecca, is that a dumb question? No, not at all. Okay. okay people good, thank ask you. this all the time. Okay. And right now, Politically, there's this huge push for what's called decriminalization of prostitution. And so I think this is a huge topic that people don't know very much about. And so it's this is great. That's why we're doing this. We get to tell. So um for the longest time, prostitution has been criminalized in our country. That's that's how we've been for a long time. There's other countries that have legalized prostitution, right? Amsterdam. Okay, I'm gonna ask another
0: question. I'm gonna interrupt, which is the worst interview thing ever. You're fine. No, it's not good to interrupt, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it right now. (laughs) When you say "criminalized," mm-hmm. am I correct that most often only the woman will put women will do a majority of women here prostituting would be criminalized, not the buyer. Am I right? Yes. Kind of. Okay. I'll quit interrupting. You keep going.
1: (laughs) Yes. Mainly people that are engaging in prostitution are the ones arrested, which is why I have a giant criminal record and my mugshots are the cover of the book, right? Yes. We are the ones going to jail. Now it is, it's getting more and more common the more we're doing trainings and the more that we're helping law enforcement better understand the issue that sting operations are being more geared towards buyers and sellers. But for the longest time, I mean, how you know, years and decades and decades, it's been like arrest the the prostitute, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Um, And so just, you know, to kind of go back, this issue of prostitution that's criminalized, people are, they're making money off it through a variety of things. Escort services are deemed that they just have dancers, quote unquote, and girls have to sign a disclo- disclaimer when they join the escort service that they will not solicit for sex. That's how that company stays operating legally. Um, illicit massage parlors are operating as massage parlors, but ain't nothing open at 2 a.m. with a blinking neon light and a curtain closed, just FYI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we all saw what happened with the Robert Kraft incident exactly. in yep. Florida. Uh-huh. But they're getting by with a legal um, license of a massage parlor. We're seeing reflexologies on the rise in terms of um, a front for exploitation because reflexology has less licensing requirements now that you know, now that law enforcement is getting more attuned on how illicit massage um, operates in strip malls across America. uh, Now, traffickers are shifting to reflexology Um, cantinas, which operate as potential sports bars really are where you have a lot of trafficking that takes place behind the cantinas. So this is how people are getting away with it legally, quote unquote, is it looks like something else in your community. And what's fascinating though, with the whole, you know, decrim legalization debate politically, and this will just be very quick. So people are like, I don't care. Just hit us We care. Yes, we care, Rebecca, bring it. <laughs> so prostitution has been criminalized and other countries have legalized, but it doesn't have to be only full decriminalization, which is kind of another word for legalization. I say kind of because there's, I mean, obviously we can debate and go toe to toe, but we won't do it on this podcast. So basically you can either criminalize or fully decriminalize, which is also kind of like legalization. What people don't realize is there's this other option. There's this third option called partial decrim or the equality model. So the equality model, also known as partial decrem, it's important to know there's five components with human trafficking or with, with prostitution in general. Human trafficking is one, buying, selling, pimping, pandering, procuring, and brothel owning. Those are the five areas legally that people look at. Right now, they're all criminalized in our country. Other countries have fully legalized all of them except human trafficking. And that's where you're seeing red light districts. That's when you see brothels pop up in communities. That's when you see um, areas in other countries that are known for uh, trafficking and karaoke bars. It's, it's legal in this one area of town, right? So there's this other option, the equality model, which keeps human trafficking illegal, and it decriminalized the selling, which means if you're a pro-sex worker or you're there by force of trafficking, that you won't be arrested for prostitution for soliciting prostitution. But buyers, pimps, panders, procurers, and brothel owners do, it is criminalized. This is what we want, what you just we do want. We want a middle ground. It doesn't have to be the way it's always been, but to just launch social justice experiments in five areas in our country would be also really concerning that we don't know what would happen if people could have a legal brothel in your neighborhood, and your neighbor could be a brothel, your kids are playing, you know, sidewalk chalk, and... Buyers are coming and going all hours of the night. And trafficking isn't an isolated crime. You're going to have drugs. You're going to have domestic violence. You're going to have robbery. You're going to have sexual assault. You're going to have rape. This is really concerning Mm -hmm. if we fully decriminalized. So when someone says, oh, we should decriminalize prostitution, people need to go full decrim or partial decrim. Because I think full decrim is Really concerning Mm. to just allow pimps, panderers, procurers, buyers, and brothel owners to act without any impunity. Like, that's not okay. That's it, could be concerning for the community health, you know, the general concern of neighborhoods. So, yeah, that's I love that education with the words and everything. Yeah, the five we use a hand model with like a little picture on our, on our website. And if you Google equality model, there's a great website. I'm on it. Lots of my friends that are survivor leaders are on it and advocates. And it's a white paper about the issue. If you're interested in policy, which is one of the lanes in my Find Your Lane course, and you can learn all about the equality model there. You know, I often hear when people talk
0: about sex trafficking and women who are prostituted, that they go back to how they have seen it glamorized in Hollywood. Can we talk about this for a second? Mm -hmm. Pretty woman. Yep. Yep. I remember my mom wouldn't let me watch the movie. Really? Yeah, but I watched it at my grandma's house. She's (laughs) passed away, so she can neither confirm or deny. But I saw that, and I loved that movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I loved that movie. Like, I loved what—I'm being honest about what I felt then. I loved that it felt as though Julia Roberts was, like, owning her life and doing her thing. But now, as a 42 year old woman with a little bit more of education, I look back on that, and I think, this is glamorizing something that doesn't look like this.
1: Well, in the end game, never looks like Richard Gere taking you to, you know, that's, it never ends like that. I think the movies have done a really interesting job in all of our lives of thinking that things, you know, in the way that they do, because that's not real life. But wouldn't you say that uh, there are parts of that that were real for you? I think that holding on to the glamorous part of the golden dangling carrot Keeping your eyes fixed on that is easier to justify the abuse because you're like it's gonna get. It's so close. It's so close. I'm almost there. I I almost have a house in my name, and then I won't have to do this. I, I almost have a baby. A baby. But- I almost have a company. I almost. I won't have to live in poverty. I won't have to, you know, live in all these vulnerabilities that that kind of get you trafficked in the first place. And then here you are being trafficked, and you're like, if I run. I'm going right back to the same vulnerabilities that got me trafficked in the first place. But now I also have criminal record, huge gap in job history, PTSD, potential addictions. There's all these barriers to reentry that people don't think about. And so, you know, I think when I work with lots of shelters, they're like, we're going to we're gonna rescue girls. We're going to have Jesus and their GED and just have, somehow it all magically comes together. And, and it like, doesn't. No. You need more than that. So many barriers to reentry. And it takes... It's a marathon, it's a long journey of loving someone on their process of transformation, not, you know, being crowned holy spirit to come in and convict them on every time they do something wrong and you're like, "Why don't you just love them?" You know what I loved about your story is there, there is this idea that you're going to get saved
0: and follow Jesus and everything's going to just be just perfect from then on out. Mm-hmm. And that's not how my story went, and that's not how your story went. Right. And I think there is this misconception, like you just said, let's just give them like Jesus and everything will be okay. And we both know and believe that Jesus is the true source of all of our, our life, our, right. everything that we need. But in certain vulnerable situations, you need a little bit more than just that. Because if we could talk about your story for a little bit, you left your trafficker, ended up in a rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, is that where you say you became a Christian? Yeah. Became a Christian, saved. Mm-hmm. got saved. Delivered. Delivered, life changed. Was that the last time you did drugs? Yeah, I've been clean 17 clean. years. Awesome, congratulations. Got sober, all the things. You went back to your- trafficker. Mm-hmm. That, I think, which is so hard for people to understand coming from a Christian space because they would say, wait, but you got saved.
1: Yeah. Filled with the Holy Spirit, delivered with drug addiction, teaching Bible studies on my church's women's steering committee, and went back. That is, I, there's no judgment from me,
0: but I know that you have experienced judgment for that.
1: I've experienced judgment from my story. In, I mean, most people have been really, really great because I try to be so vulnerable um, at risk of getting judged. I think if people were to actually fully read the book, I think people would get it a little bit more. I think people read the back and are like, eh, she was an adult, I don't buy it, and like toss the book really? aside. You
0: think that's what the feeling would be from people? Yeah, I
1: do. I, I mean, I've gotten that from some people. Because you were so. 19 when you <laughs> uh, she, first started. Yeah, you're trauma. an adult, you had a car, you could have walked away at any time. Like you clearly don't understand trauma in the brain. You clearly don't understand what happens to someone when they're beaten until their face is broken in five places and they're unrecognizable and they're left like on the side of the street while you're running to jump into the car so that he doesn't go home to your baby, right? Mm-hmm. Like imagine you at 19 and all the great decisions you made without trauma, mm-hmm. without abuse, without having a baby to consider, yeah. without, and so, yeah, you hold on to this, um, to the golden carrot in hopes that things get better. And that becomes, you end up regurgitating too the very, things that he's constantly refilling your brain with, right? Yeah. And so it's like, I am brave. I am strong. It's that. It's it's like, well, see, you have this home now. You It should be okay. And you're like, okay, yeah, see, I have this home now. It should be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it becomes this awkward stuff It's like you repeat these mantras. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. and he does. I mean, I list mantras uh-huh. in the book that he would yeah. actually have a say over and over again. One girl even got it tattooed on her arm. I mean, it's constant. And once we knew... That Texas federal investigators, he so he had a home in Dallas and a pizza shop in Dallas that he was laundering money through, and we actually finally were able to escape because um, a neighbor noticed something suspicious, and so it's always important That's why for it matters. people to yeah. you know see something, say something. So she uh, ended up, I think she had a friend that was a law enforcement officer and sheriff or something, and. She said, "I think my neighbors are drug dealers." So I, she, that's what the tip was. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of fancy cars uh-huh. and women and one man. They're drug dealers, and so the sheriff looked into it immediately, recognized it was an organized human trafficking ring, and um, with that one guy in your book, Kevin. Yep, that's he
0: was the one lone yep person. Okay, got it.
1: And then that began. They turned it over to the feds, and an eighteen-month surveillance began. And um, and our the federal agent that surveillance us, which I talk about in the book, he's actually a believer and he's been a believer through all this. And I, when we finally got connected with him, what I love um, and something that people say they love about in the book is that I met his wife and she said with tears in her eyes, she said, listening to your story, I realized you came from a home just like ours. Like I never knew. I thought these were all these other people and you came from a home just like ours. And we're like, yeah, you know, smiling. And she she told us every time he'd bring the case home, she said, I, I prayed for you. And um, the, the son was like, my mama would pray for you. And just such an awesome thing because my family would pray while I was being trafficked that Christians around me would be faithful. And to see the fruit of that, to see this federal agent and his family that love Jesus that are praying over us while we're being trafficked It's the epitome of that answer to prayer that my family was praying the whole time, too. And, And so God just continued to pursue me, hence the name of the book. and Which is
0: what I was getting at, is that you got saved when you got sober. You went back. Yeah. But in the midst of that, that's what I want people to understand, is that God was pursuing you so hard, and you were different. There was something different about you. Um, Even if you were, you know, stuck with your trafficker and didn't know how to get out, and everything that we've talked about
1: for the last forty five minutes, your life was changed. Yeah, and I mean, I think exactly going back to that, it's like transforming your life is really hard work. And I think we expect that we're just going to give them Jesus, and they're going to say the sinner's prayer, and it's like they have amnesia or suddenly bibbity bobbity boo. It is. It's not it's not like that. And if, if you've never had to turn your life around, then you don't know that struggle yeah. of like, how do you get out of poverty? How do I get out of food stamps? How do I get off of government housing? Is this really what you have for me, God? Like this sucks too. I don't want this either. Yeah. I can read, and I, you know, I share this often. I. I remember getting mad at God and being like, "Is this what you? Is this the thing that all the Christians say they saved you for? Is is poverty, food stamps, and this dead end job? Like, because I that want, was your
0: alternative. I don't want this
1: either. Yeah, I don't want to be trafficked, but I also don't want to live in uh-huh. in poverty and all of these issues that I don't know how to. How do you make friends again when you haven't made a friend in a long time? How do you go up to a woman in church and? and say like, hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm looking to make friends, right? (laughs) Like, it's just so awkward anyway. Yeah. But then when people are like, oh, great, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there thinking, if I tell this lady I'm a former prostitute, she's never gonna invite me over. She's not gonna let her kids play with mine. People everywhere are gonna know what kind of girl I used to. Like, it's so fear consumes you Mm. from trying to figure out how to navigate this world of normalcy that all, all of you Christians seem to get real well, but I don't, I don't know yet how to do. And so it feels very much like, I don't even know how to be in your world. And here we are in our pews and people are coming in wanting to change their lives. And it feels like people don't really get how hard that is. And that's why it's easier sometimes to go back to what's familiar. is because you don't know how to become someone new yet. And I'm grateful that after I, I did go back and then the God kept pursuing me, um, I dug my heels in in that moment, that come to Jesus moment of like, I don't want this either. All right, God, me and you, <laughs> I, I don't want this. Addiction's hard.
0: And, and, and not, yep. I'm not saying that you were addicted to that, but it was other things. But the, I have seen that a lot of expecting someone, and, and, and you know what? You and I both have seen people's lives change drastically overnight. Yes. We can't discount that. Absolutely. But we also know.
1: It I mean, doesn't I remember, happen like that for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I remember
0: after I got saved, um, I was 21, grew up in church. Um, I ended up getting pregnant. And, you know, I was having, that was my thing was relationship, sexual relationship with guys. I just, and I remember getting pregnant and I was like, how did this happen? I'm different now. Hmm. And it was like the same pattern, the same mistake, you know, but, and, yep. and I remember feeling people are not going to believe that I really love Jesus, hmm. but you know what else I felt in this This is always, and I don't know if you can um, relate to this. Um, I had been pregnant previously when I wasn't a believer, sexually active for years, but that's just a consequence that some people get, some people don't, right? Lost both to miscarriages, but as not a believer pregnant, as a believer pregnant, I felt more loved by God than Mm. I ever had, because I knew that even though I had screwed up, even though I thought people would doubt if I loved him, I never doubted that he loved me. Hmm. And I didn't feel that the first, like I did, I wasn't walking with the Lord. Um, and so I think it's hard. What you're describing is, I think one of my greatest frustrations sometimes with church people is that we're afraid to get what's underneath. Mm-hmm.
1: I think too, when you finally know real relationship. Mm-hmm. That God loves people regardless of their sin. We can't pick and choose sin. I think sometimes the church can be real bad at like, oh, well, she got pregnant. And you're like, really, Sally? Because you're gossiping all right. day long. Oh, okay. And you've been
0: having sex, you so just didn't get pregnant. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's how it was when I was, you know, so it, yeah. you're right.
1: And then people see it. And then and then it's harder to come forward when they do want to say, Hey, I'm really struggling with this because mm. they're afraid of the judgment and they're afraid of the hypocrisy. Yeah. But What's so great about God is in the middle of our sin, in the midst of our 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 hardest moments. It's when you do feel, you can feel him draw near to you so good and when that's when relationship happens yeah. when it's not necessarily always the best sermon that draws you near to god it's that moment when you're on your knees and you're crying out and you're at your you're at a low and you're like i don't see you in this i don't know where you're at in this are you even real is this thing all these people talk about accessible to me and I had the same moment when I cried out to God like that. I'm like, oh, I don't want this either. If this is what you have, take it back, man. I don't want this. And I remember hearing God very clearly say, if you give me the same amount of time that you gave the enemy, I will never be outdone. And I was like all right, you got six years then. Okay. And if this ain't better, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Six years. Yep. I mean, he has outdone himself he has. for you. But you know what? It was also hard work in that six years. Yeah. It was me determining, come what may, I'm gonna serve God for six years. I made that deal. I'm gonna dig my heels in when I lost my food stamps, when I got a raise, when you know I didn't have a car, when I'm walking to and from, when, when people at my daughter's school, I started to go public with my story and I started to wonder, like, are her friends? going to get to come over it. Like those moments of digging my heels in when it's hard, that's the determination that's on us. Hard work. Right? God pursues us and He can radically change lives and He will and it's successful and it's free, but we're also not robots and we have free will and we have to determine in our heart, come what may, I'm going to serve the Lord. Come what may, I am going to stand on Him. And man, He has so outdone Himself in six years. It's insane. I never would have thought my life would be here. I really What year did you leave? I escaped for good December 31st, 2007, because I remember watching the ball drop in the airport. Um, and then I fled to London. You have to read the book. And that's good, the good. And then I came back February 22nd, I think, 2009. It may have been 2000. It may be February 24th. I have to look at my passport stamp. But end of February 2009. Yeah. Okay.
0: Before we go, I want to ask you, we, we talked about this very briefly earlier um, about your sister's and I was so thankful in the book that you you talked about them after you were married with children and you had kind of, quote unquote, moved on with your life and you gave us a little update on them. How have, the, have those relationships been in the past 10 years?
1: so great with the girl Brandy in the book. Her real name's actually Becca Charleston. She's thanked in the back. She gave. She's given me permission to use her book. We speak publicly together all the time. The reason why we didn't use her real name and gave her a pseudonym was because we're both named Rebecca. And that like, gets really confusing, <laughs> confusing audibly, Yeah. Um, even though it's they're both spelled Pseudonyms different. Pseudonyms for everybody else? No, there's a couple people whose real names were allowed, and I thank them in the back. Anyone whose real names were used, they get thanked in the okay. back. Otherwise, it's all aliases. Um, but Becca's doing phenomenal. She has a TED Talk out. She lives um, in Dallas. She She has her master's in criminal justice. She's just doing great. She runs a a nonprofit called Valiant Hearts there. We're still really great friends. And I always stay at her house when I go to Dallas. I don't get a hotel. I stay with Becca, still my great friend. And just God knew. She came from a believing family. God Mm. knew. And here we were both being trafficked, both with the same trafficker, both experiencing abuse. And God knew in 10 years, you two will be radically saved and be doing something for Jesus. I can't even, I can't even believe how good God is. It's shocking. Mm -hmm. The other two, one still being trafficked. Same guy. Yep. We looked into that recently um, with the feds and that she's still being trafficked by him. Um, And the other girl doesn't want to admit she was trafficked. She keeps, keeps saying domestic violence. She just literally would put her fingers in her ear and go, la, 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 la. No, we were in domestic violence. But she's out. She's out, she ran, she's remarried. Um, she doesn't want to talk about it. She's actually kind of mad that we've gone forward. She's like, this is not this is not your story to tell. Shame on you. Shame on you for forcing our story to be in the public eye. So it's been really hard. I mean, writing the book was hard. I could have shared a lot of stuff. And it was really difficult to figure out like I didn't live in a bubble. So I know I had to bring in other people. Um, where's that line of ethical storytelling where I'm not using someone else's story? Nonprofits do a really poor job of this where we use other people's story to make money, <laughs> pressure people to share intimate parts of themselves at a fundraiser so they can make money. Like, weird, that's what my trafficker did. He yeah. pressured me to share oh. intimate parts of themselves so oh, he could make ish. money. Yeah, it feels very re-exploitive mm-hmm. if, if nonprofits are not very thoughtful around ethical storytelling, which many are not. And I think that's why you see sometimes this divide between survivor leaders and anti-trafficking like nonprofits, because we're like, hey, that's re-exploitive. Hey, I'm feeling triggered. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling used. Mm -hmm. Feeling like you're using my story to make money right now. Which happened. That's- All the time. Yeah. And, um, And sometimes they don't see it. And so this, anyway, totally rabbit trailing, but she's out. She has a normal life. She, you know, you could run to her in your normal day and you'd never know it. Yeah. Now, the one of your sisters who's still there, that has to be really hard for you to think about. What I, it, it is. Anyone who's gotten out of cult-like experiences have what's called survivor guilt, where you feel bad that you're moving on when other people haven't. But you know what's, I think what's so important for people to really understand is that what I think is important for people to realize is that when I was finally able to run for good, I called my mom. She put a plane ticket on her credit card because I knew I couldn't buy one with cash. And I had this incredible family to run home to. I slept on couches. My mom watched my daughter. My grandma bought us groceries when I couldn't afford it. My mom did Easter basket every year for my daughter because I couldn't afford Easter for my kids. Um, Even when I got married and went into nonprofit work for the first two years, I couldn't afford Easter baskets for my kids. And my mom would provide. If we know that the national average is 75% of trafficked kids come out of foster care, There are girls right now that have nowhere to run to. They have no mom to call. They don't have a family to sleep on couches. That's what I feel like happened for the girl that is still there. I know her family. I know that our trafficker bought them a home. I know because I paid the mortgage every month and um, when she was in prison. And so I can only imagine days that she feels like running what those phone calls would be like with her and her mom. That man paid our mortgage, you get back there. Right? And I don't know, because I wasn't privy to their conversations. But I, I do know what we did for that, that family. And so that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that she might want to and doesn't have an option. And I think there's a lot of people out there that don't have a mom to call and don't have a family to run to. And so that's why anti-trafficking work is important to me. That's why people who are advocates and safe homes are so important to me, because there are people that need you in your community. They need someone to just be willing to babysit their kids while they take their placement test at community college or put together a birthday party for their little boy because they can't afford one and they just ran from their trafficker. Little things like that make a huge difference in helping victims feel normal again. And like, I could do this. I can get out of this. It's going to take me a few years to build a career or to get a great job, but I can do this. And with the support of my community, it is possible.
0: Hmm. Rebecca, thank you.
1: (laughs) Sorry, I'm crying.
0: Ah, me too. Me too. Um, I was going to ask you to share a story that's in the book, but I think I just, we don't have time and I won't be able to read it, but I'm telling you, I told you I finished the book literally minutes before you walked in because I couldn't stop reading it. The story about you going through the museum in Washington, D.C. Oh. Don't share it because people got to read it. <laughs> I'm just telling
1: you. We almost named the whole book after that one scene. It was special. It was. It was special. It's a moment that Jesus and I know was special showed special for you. Up. Yeah. Um,
0: one more question, and then we got to move on. I have 8,000 more questions, but this is called <laughs> the happy hour and not happy, you know, day. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, <eight> hours? <laughs> I,
0: I actually have a question and I just don't know how this works. With you going public with your story, with you doing the work that you're doing, with you being so vocal with
1: your life, mm-hmm. um, has there ever been any fear of your trafficker? In the beginning, there definitely was fear. And a lot of people have asked, like, are you scared today? Um, my daughter was in Sports Illustrated two years ago. She's on a track scholarship and um, and Sports Illustrated featured her and people, I got a lot of hate mail for that one. People are like, how dare you put your daughter's location out there like that? Oh. And the hard part for me was like, for one, you tell an eighteen-year-old athlete to uh-huh. not respond to Sports Illustrated when they call. Yeah, yeah you yeah. Good, luck, good luck with that. Uh-huh. But two, I work so much with law enforcement now. I'm I'm no longer afraid. I'm not going to allow him to keep me in fear and run my life. I would. I have so many friends in law enforcement and, and FBI now that I I don't operate in fear anymore. Yeah. But in the beginning, I definitely did. I used a fake name during interviews. I would literally say, and I will never say his name. I remember saying that on our local news. Uh-huh. I just, it was scary at first. And and I probably went public too soon, if I'm honest. You think and, so? Yeah. And this will be something I talk about uh, on another, you know, on my own podcast with uh-huh. another survivor. Uh-huh. You, When you go public too soon, you can't take some of that stuff back. Yeah. And, and you haven't had time to process through the trauma. You don't know your own why. Yeah. And you're just out sharing like, yeah. I don't know, maybe this. And and you can't take it back when yeah. it's public. Mm-hmm. And I've had people pressure me to share parts of my story. Um, and I didn't know how to say no, mm-hmm. you know, seven years ago. Yeah. I just complied to the older male pastor that was pressuring me. And so I shared too much or um, things now that even my mom, I've had times where my mom's like, why would you say that? Mm. Why would you say that publicly about about our family? Or, mm-hmm. or my husband, like, wow, that kind of made me uncomfortable. You shared that much detail. Mm-hmm. And so there's things that I wish I would have done different. There's things I wish I would have held close to my heart because I didn't think how it would impact other people. Yeah. I just thought I just need to be 100% open and people will understand, but it's okay. Mary hid things in her heart and she's when mary knew she was pregnant with with the son of god mary hid it in her heart mm-hmm. it's okay to hide to preserve and protect yeah. relationships yeah. and um I think I, I want other people to know you don't have to go public with yeah. someone that you've been through when yeah. you're not ready. Yeah. And to process with a friend first before you like go on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs>
0: there you go. That, that could be wise advice no matter what your story is. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, Rebecca, thank you. I'm, I'm thankful for your book. I'm thankful for your story. I'm thankful for what you're doing in the world. And I'm thankful just to have this conversation with you because I want to be a learner, you know, and I don't, mm. I don't want to be oblivious to the things that are happening in my own community. Um, and I want to be someone who takes a stand against things that are unjust. And this is unjust. This is not um, God's perfect plan for His people. And right. so thank you for your for your voice and your words. Uh, I do want to finish with what you're loving and what you're reading.
1: Oh, I just read, And David Perceived He Was King by Dale Mast. It was life- I want to read it again. Okay. I mean, it was so good. But I love, you know, I'm a Bible scholar. I'm a master's in biblical studies. So I am all about the word. It's it's the one thing that has radically changed me. And I just love the word. And I so I love things like Running with the Horses by Eugene Peterson mm-hmm. and Lying on a Pit in a Snowy Day by uh, Batterson. Mark. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just like rambling yeah, on the yeah. three books that I have sitting on my night. So I love when someone like takes scripture and really does yeah. a deep dive. So yeah. that's my fave. What am I loving? I love teaching the word. I love you know yes I'm I'm a survivor of human trafficking but I'm so much more than my story I'm so much more than one bad thing that happened to me 10 years ago or 20 years ago um, I have fresh mana I've God and I have this great relationship where I love to teach women how to nurture grit, how to build faith, how to strengthen what they're pursuing. So whatever you practice gets stronger. Like I just love being able to help women run after the call of God on yeah. their lives. And so that's what I've been really passionate about in this new season is um, using story, whether it's from the stage page or on other forms, uh-huh. other mediums, um, to get a message out to the masses that God God is able, He has a plan. I'm I'm no... He's no respecter of persons. What he's done for me, he can do for you. That's totally true. And he can done for anyone that you know that's lost, that yeah. you love. Yeah. You know, I, I truly believed there's going to be a mom reading this book who has a child that's lost, maybe to drugs or gangs or prostitution. And I want them to have hope in this book, to know that what God did for me, he can do for their kid. They can He can do that's for totally anybody. Right. That's totally right. Rebecca, thank you. Thanks. <laughs>
0: Okay, I hope that you enjoyed that show, that conversation with Rebecca, as much as I did. I really respect the work that she's doing now. She is so wise and so smart and has so much to offer the world on our fight against sex trafficking. And so go follow her on Instagram, check out her book if you can, and maybe send her some love. Give her, Send her a message on Instagram that you're praying for her, that you're thankful for her work. I just think knowing people who are doing this kind of work is what we need because a couple of reasons. It keeps us on the forefront of our mind. It makes does not forget that this is a reality so Rebecca thank you for your work today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham show notes are written by Aki Slockers and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney next week my guest is Melanie Schenkel Melanie is like an OG to the happy hour she's been on a few times the last time she was on was a while ago and I love chatting with her anytime I can On the show, we chat about how we're holding up during the coronavirus. We actually recorded this in the midst of this, what this looks like for our kids at school and our schedules. We also chat about how timely her book, which is called On the Bright Side, is to all of us right now. Honestly, we just have a good time chatting. And I have no doubt that this conversation will spark some joy and laughter and put a smile on your face when you listen to it. Tune in next week for my conversation with Melanie Schenkel. Guys, enjoy your week. Enjoy the craziness, and try to make the best of it. Share the show with a girlfriend. Sharing with your friends is the number one way that people find out about the happy hour, and we are thankful every time you do it. Have a virtual happy hour with a couple of friends, and I'll see you next week with my friend, Melanie Schenkel.